0: This episode is being recorded on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people.
1: Hey everyone, this is Gabrielle.
0: And I'm Ravin.
1: And this is Therapy After Hours.
0: Welcome back everyone to Therapy After Hours. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the topic of diagnosis. Pretty big topic. I think there's a few different layers we want to touch on when it comes to the topic of diagnosis. One is kind of from more of that systemic place. You know, we have the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, the DSM, for those of you who don't know, is kind of like, what would you call it, like the encyclopedia of mental health disorders?
1: Basically. <laughs>
0: um, it's essentially what medical professionals use or mental health professionals use to diagnose particular mental health disorders, and it has like the the criteria for each one. And so we want to talk about that from a systemic lens and some of the things that we view to be problematic about it. Um, And then we'll dig into a bit more of like the social and the individual aspects of diagnosis. So the ways that it shows up on social media and our identities and the world around us. But yeah, kind of starting at the systemic place, I guess I will ask you, like, what are... What comes to mind when you think of the DSM?
1: Do you really want my answer?
0: <laughs> Do you love it? Do you hate it?
1: I don't love it. I maybe hate it. Probably, yes. Okay. I think it's something that I, I'm kind of in the middle of in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Because when I was training as a medical doctor, that was something that we used For our our psychiatry courses, and Mm -hmm. when I did my psychiatric rotation in the hospital, that was obviously something that we used. And then in mental health, you know, we have that class. We had that class in in our master's, uh, biopsychosocial something. I can't remember the whole name. Mm -hmm. Where it was basically the DSM course. Yeah. But I don't diagnose. Mm -hmm. I don't diagnose for multiple reasons. First, I'm an Adlerian, so we don't we don't pathologize. Second part of the problematic stuff in that DSM is mm. is you know created by white old men <laughs> for white population mm-hmm. or kind of stigmatizing or kind of being more inclined to diagnose people of color with certain diagnoses mm-hmm. which is part of what we were talking about in the systemic piece and then also the idea that fitting into those criteria is like, oh, like a checkbox. Mm-hmm. Where I don't think any of that is as black and white or straightforward.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but that's just kind of off the top of my mind right now.
0: It's not nuanced enough, first no, of all. For sure. Right. I think I'm I'm with you in that I don't love it, but I also don't hate it. I think just like anything, there's pros and cons, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think just because of the nature of the conversations that we want to have, we're probably going to be dismantling a little bit more um, and kind of looking at maybe some of those drawbacks and those harms. So maybe we'll front load by saying, like, we do acknowledge that there are benefits to the DSM and to yeah. diagnosis, yeah. right? Like there, to some degree, does need to be some sort of criteria
1: out there. Yeah, there needs there. to be like a framework of some sort of.
0: Exactly. And then there's, you know, sometimes diagnosis can be really validating for some folks to be able to put a name to their experience. Um, There can be access to services and things, you know, even things like disability or getting into certain specialized treatment requires formal diagnosis.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's here for sure in Canada and something that we don't necessarily going to dive into it. But I know that in the States, for example, mental health counselors, like, therapists, psychologists, they all have to diagnose and use the DSM codes oh. for insurance purposes. Okay. Otherwise insurance will decline their claim.
0: Okay. So we know there's, I know
1: that piece in the States. Yeah. I mean, there's probably more nuances to that as well, but I'm a hundred percent sure that's one thing that okay. needs to happen in the States for therapists to get Because it's basically like therapists get paid through insurances, which is different Uh, than here, here, where clients get reimbursed through insurances.
0: Okay, so that makes sense. So all that to say, of course, there's benefits to this. Um, There are also a lot of drawbacks. And I think that's kind of where we'll focus for today, just because we want to get into also the social and individual Aspects that we want to talk about in terms of diagnosis. So I think right off the bat, you acknowledging that the DSM was created by old white men. Um, we don't. We we love some old white men, but in this case, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think right off the bat, we can acknowledge that there was probably a lot of bias and prejudice that went into those diagnoses. So what are some of your thoughts off the top of your head in regards to how the DSM? is essentially like non-inclusive and can be really harmful in a lot of ways. Mm. Just a small question.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think culture and race is usually, it's not taken into consideration as Mm. much as as it should. Every diagnosis or a kind of a chapter has a subheading called culture culture-related diagnostic issues. Mm -hmm. But most of them say that there's not enough data (laughs) or that the culture-related data is limited. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of just gives you a little bit of like, oh, in this one study in However Forever Mm -hmm. somewhere, they found this. Right. And that's it. So they don't take into consideration race, ethnicity, culture.
0: Gender, sexual orientation. orientation. Like, there's so many factors. Yeah.
1: I think there's another kind of subheading that says sex and gender-related diagnostic issues, which is usually, like, two lines as well, three lines.
0: And it's usually male, female. Uh, Yeah. Right, like, prevalence among men and females is very binary, doesn't take into consideration folks that are non-binary or have diverse gender identities. Yeah, I think... I mean, I feel like, again, I bring up eating disorders every time in our episodes, right? It's your jam. (laughs) It is my jam. Um, But that's one of the first things that come to mind in regards to how the DSM is actually, can be quite harmful. So the diagnosis of eating disorders is quite fat phobic. For example, in order to be diagnosed with anorexia, you have to qualify as a quote-unquote low weight or low BMI, when in reality, folks of all different sizes can experience anorexia symptoms, right? If I start in a naturally larger body, then when I engage in anorexia behaviors, I may not necessarily become quote-unquote underweight, but I still am struggling from the same illness and the same challenges,
1: yeah so basically what it's doing it's limiting some people to get a diagnosis that would mm-hmm. give them access to health care and mental health care mm-hmm. like access to health
0: yeah or it's increasing the <laughs> shame right or, yeah because sometimes what happens is they fall into a category called atypical anorexia so now it's like creating a hierarchy amongst the eating disorders and there also is like a narrative of you know i'm not quote unquote sick enough to need the help because I don't have quote-unquote real anorexia, right? Or because I don't have an eating disorder in the way that this DSM defines it.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but the DSM is referred as the Bible of psychiatry. Oh, really? No, I haven't heard that. I've heard that before. I mean, I don't know if this is a Dominican thing, Mm -hmm. but I think I've heard it here, right? Okay. So if if you don't fit the criteria in that you know, that context, then mm-hmm. you're excluded.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I also, as you say that and you talk about psychiatry, like I work on an interdisciplinary team with psychiatrists. So um, we often consult about their diagnostics process. And what I find really interesting and what a psychiatrist on our team, who's phenomenal, what he said to me was, you can make anyone fit into a diagnosis if you really want to. <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's... It's specific, quote unquote, specific criteria, but it's also general enough that if I want to pathologize you as a person who has the power to diagnose, I can, right? And so what I really appreciate about the way in which he works is he says that he tries to rule out diagnosis as opposed to trying to fit someone into one. And that's where that like bias and knowing your internal kind of assumptions comes in right of like well if I go in with an idea that someone is bipolar then I'm going to interpret all of their behaviors as bipolar yeah
1: yeah absolutely and I think this is something that I've said to to some of my clients when they have certain diagnoses or they come in with like or someone told them like oh my ex told me that I am this, mm-hmm. or a friend said that I was this. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, if you think about it you look at all the criteria, we all have a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. We all have some of the criteria for uh, major depressive disorder. It's like we can fit certain, di- certain criteria of all diagnoses if that's yeah. the case. Yeah. You can, if you start handpicking them like, Oh, criteria for this criteria for that, you can, you can create your own diagnosis at that point. Yeah. like, I'm a combination of everything.
0: Well, I remember my first DSM course in um, undergrad where the instructor basically said, like, just so you know, as we go through all of these things, you're going to think that you have everything because you can qualify as all these. And I remember learning about the DSM for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, I have everything in this book. <laughs> like, so it really yeah, yeah, can fit sure. if you really want to make it. And I wonder, like, what... We talked a little bit about, like, the whitewashedness. Mm-hmm. Is that the right mm-hmm. word? That's not even a word, but...
1: The white supremacist approach to DSM.
0: That's a way better say, way of saying it, but I'm going to stick to whitewashedness. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit more about that, your lens on that, the white supremacists.
1: Well, Well, I, I mean, I think the way they just use it, and, you know, everybody that is not white falls into the... Cultural piece, Mm -hmm. or you know, I think there was one. This is me pulling out from the archives, Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was one where I remember it said like, "Don't ask me which diagnosis." But in the cultural paragraph, it said that one study they found that it was less likely to have a diagnosis of whatever it was. I think it was actually schizophrenia. Mm. It was less likely. Or less common on African Afro-Caribbean people hmm. versus African American and whites,
0: hmm.
1: and it's like, yeah, hmm. but that's part of the cultural. Mm-hmm. Not that's not the general approach yeah. to it. Mm-hmm.
0: And what I think about in terms of the white approach to the DSM is that culturally symptoms for different disorders are going to look different and there's not enough nuance included about that right just like mental health disorders can look different based on your gender and based on all of these other things i think based on coming from individualistic versus collectivistic cultures things like depression are going to show up differently even just considering like the impacts of stigma Mm -hmm. on mental health Mm -hmm. and how that plays a role in symptoms like there's just it's just oversimplified. It's way too oversimplified, and that's problematic.
1: Yeah, it's there's not enough nuance and conversation around all of those diagnosis criteria, and even some of the diagnoses that exist are problematic in in, mm-hmm. in itself. Right? We're like not gonna. What? gender dysphoria okay but we're not we gonna dive dig into it we're not gonna dive into it. that's a whole other episode
0: yeah i think what i would add to that though like what i do want to bring to this conversation so gender dysphoria is a diagnosis that makes me really upset but also the like i don't i don't believe in the diagnosis of personality disorders like mm. to me personality disorders are just complex trauma they're all behaviors that exist from complex trauma Mm -hmm. and there are ways that people adapted to get their needs met and now they've been pathologized in these ways of personality disorders and while like I said for some people it can be really validating to get that explanation there's so much stigma associated with being diagnosed with personality disorders right like borderline personality disorder it gets such a bad rap and it's really just people that learned how to get their emotional needs met in the best ways that they could given their circumstances
1: yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of i mean if we go into personality disorders you know mm-hmm. we can obviously bring up narcissistic personality disorder which mm-hmm. is basically like a Common word now. Mm-hmm. Everyone, Everyone's a narcissist. Yeah. And it's, it's used a lot. So that's one of the the other things about the DSM that I think is problematic is that it can give... So here's a kind of like a pro and con, if you will. Like, mm-hmm. it does give a lot of validation to some people and their experiences and what they're going through and kind of what they're going through means or looks like mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, it gives people something to use as a weapon mm-hmm. and kind of start diagnosing other people of like, Oh, you're mm-hmm. narcissistic. Oh, this is, per- this, my ex was narcissistic. My mom was narcissistic. My dad was, everybody is narcissistic. Depend. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's like, maybe they were narcissistic. Or they or, had
0: qualities. Or they that had were qualities.
1: The- maybe they were diagnosed narcissistic mm-hmm. people or narciss- diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorders. But maybe they were not. Mm-hmm. And they were just, you know, people with complex trauma that, that are figuring out how to live their life in a way that makes sense. And at the same time, knowing that, unfortunately, that doesn't work for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's like on the individual level of how the stigma of particular labels can impact. But also thinking about like the systemic, right? So it's like, I think about borderline personality disorder. And I know for a fact that systemically in the psychiatric system, when a clinician, maybe not necessarily a therapist or maybe some therapist, once they see that diagnosis, they create an idea of what this patient is or what this client is. And, you know, I've actually heard professionals say, I don't take somebody seriously as soon as I've seen that diagnosis. And so like, how harmful is that? Mm. Right? Because it's like, I still need support and I still need all these other things, but now I'm viewing their behavior through this lens of this label based on the DSM. Mm -hmm. And I'm not helping this person in the ways that I need, or they need, sorry.
1: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, it would be more so like, I think this falls beyond my scope of practice. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have enough training or knowledge to work with someone who has a diagnosis of BPD for example.
0: Hmm. I wonder if that's part of the stigma though. Mm-hmm. Right? Where it's like, oh, these people with these disorders yeah, like I've all, are out all of I've scope. heard is
1: like, oh, these are complicated patients or mm-hmm. clients right? It's going to be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it too. Like yeah.
0: even that narr- the fact that that narrative exists. Oh yeah. Because if somebody, okay, so here's the way that I'll frame it to you. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Sure. So if you had the same client with the same behavior, two different clients with the same presentation, same behaviors, and one was labeled with the diagnosis of BPD, and the other one was labeled as having complex trauma, would you see the complex trauma one as out of your scope?
1: Well, no, but that's the thing. Do I know that, they, that, that it's the same behavior, for example?
0: But I think that's where I'm saying that the diagnosis becomes harmful
1: because because it's
0: like now I've classified that this person who has this label is out of my scope yeah. when really if I conceptualize their behaviors as complex trauma, yeah. then all of a sudden it's not, in, it's not out of my scope anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. That's part of why I hate these diagnoses. And, I, and I, I'm reluctant to say that because I, I do have a few clients that have pushed back against that with me where they've said, you know, having the personality disorder diagnosis was really relieving and validating for yeah. them um, because it helped them feel like, okay, like I have an explanation for all of this. And at the same time, I think that if we just had a diagnosis for complex trauma and a more nuanced way of diagnosing that – that perhaps we could better meet the needs of people with these presenting problems without the shame and the stigma.
1: Mm. What about if you have a diagnosis of complex trauma? Mm-hmm. Will that just put everybody there? Yeah, probably. <laughs> so then uh, what are we, you know, are we just putting everyone in one box?
0: Yeah, and I mean but- I don't I don't have the solution. I just think that the labels like i'm even just thinking about like with the johnny depp trial going on right now right mm-hmm. and what's her name amber heard. amber amber heard they've now died or the, the expert psychologist said that she has borderline and histrionic personality disorders yeah I so now imagine a public case one case of these types of quote-unquote personality disorders is gonna infiltrate the public mind
1: oh for sure
0: and there's going to be an assumption made about all people with borderline personality disorder, all people with histrionic personality disorder. That's where I just, I don't know, I just find it so harmful.
1: Yeah. Because the thing is when people see those, and some people, some people, and some, including myself, or you know, some, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we would say, like we take information as is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, right? We don't question it. We don't look at the nuances we don't Mm -hmm. kind of dissect it to be like okay so like and we have to because it is different for everyone Mm -hmm. and and i think some people might be i'm wondering you know if some people might be like oh my partner or my ex did the same things that amber heard did Mm -hmm. so does that mean that they were right they have a diagnosis as well Mm -hmm. so it's yeah i i get what you mean it yeah. definitely adds to the stigma and it adds to people weaponizing these things towards each other.
0: Yeah, it's problematic, I think.
1: Yeah, this episode might be problematic too. Probably. <laughs> but, you know, it's we're
0: probably here. problematic.
1: It's probably <laughs> problematic and we're here for it. That's part of this journey, right? Is mm-hmm. for us to have these conversations that can be problematic sometimes, mm-hmm. but also that hopefully will inform people in general about mm-hmm. some of these things or just start these conversations?
0: You just start thinking about it, right? Like, I don't know, I brought up the, the personality disorders and the complex trauma piece because like that's something that really shifted for me. I think that I held a lot of stereotypes and stigma associated with particular labels as a clinician and I had reactions when I saw a certain diagnosis on an intake or on an assessment where I would be like, oh, I don't know if I could work with that or I'd start to have these these kind of um, preconceptions of what might be showing up in front of me and being able to shift that, that now every time I see those diagnoses, I've just like trained my brain to switch the language out with complex trauma. Mm-hmm. And it, I find that for me, it better helps me conceptualize the person and push, put my biases aside mm-hmm. and be yeah. able to acknowledge how I can work with them. I just see it as like a wound Right, like these are some wounds, and people are really adaptive, and they found ways to get their needs met, and maybe those need, those ways aren't the most conducive, and that's what we want to work on. Mm-hmm. But the label and the way that the DSM, like even some of the language in the DSM, yeah. for these disorders, like it's so harsh. And I'm like, these are humans you're talking about, like
1: yeah, yeah, it's terrible, yeah. And, you know, what I was thinking now, based on, you know, the what you were challenging me with the, the two cases, it's, like, it doesn't hurt me or anyone, for example, like, to see these clients, at least for a few sessions, and maybe at that point be, like, not because of the diagnosis, but because whatever is presented mm-hmm. could be beyond my scope of practice, because that's something that we need to know as therapists mm-hmm. as well. We don't work with everything because we don't have the knowledge and the capacity yeah. to work with everything yeah but at the same time it's like letting the client know like hey like this is what's going on and it's very different than an email or a phone call mm-hmm. whereas you start talking to this client and you create a some sort of relationship in the beginning you know and like if i i'm thinking like myself as a client if i that were happened to me i think i would prefer that Mm. Like at least be been given the opportunity to come into the office right, and be like, Hey, this is what's going on for me. This is what I'm struggling with. Is this, or, you know, or even a phone consult or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I think it's like, again, that's challenging our biases and our preconceptions, right? Like I think in a way we have to be careful about saying like, I see this diagnosis and automatically it's out of my scope. Yeah. Right? It's like getting to know the human beyond the diagnosis and seeing like, is there presenting? And I think there's, is there a presenting problem out of my scope? And I think there's like a few considerations in that. I think one is how much does this person identify with this label True. and how important is it for them to have someone that specializes in their specific diagnosis, right? like What does it mean to the client? But I also think we have to be so careful. I work with a lot of eating disorder clients and there's a high comorbidity with um, borderline personality disorder. And when I get these clients, I can't tell you the number of them that have told me that they've gone to clinicians that have told them that they're too complex and that they can't work with the client and how much the shame grows and the stigma grows by being told that you're too complex by a mental health professional so i do think it's okay to have things that are outside of your scope but i think it's also like how we frame it
1: yeah how would you frame it if it's you know <laughs> I'm, I'm doing air quotes you know a client that is too complex
0: I don't know if that would be a reason why I turn somebody away. I think out of my scope and too complex are two different things, right? Because I think I I work with some very complex clients, but it's like, in what ways are they complex and what are their intersecting Mm -hmm. kind of problems? So I don't classify, like to me, too complex isn't something that I turn away. Out of my scope means something different to me.
1: What does it mean to you?
0: To me, it means I can't meet the these this person's needs in the best way possible, that there is someone out there with more training in a specific area or more expertise in a certain area that will better serve this client. Yeah. And so that's the way that I would frame it of not like you're too complex. I can't work with you or, you know anything like that or even just I wouldn't even make reference to a specific diagnosis because I don't believe in that like I wouldn't be like oh I don't work with clients with borderline personality disorder or I don't work with clients with eating yeah, disorders yeah. right because I think that adds to stigma using the diagnosis as like a means of your diagnosis is one that I won't well but like
1: okay well that makes sense and at the same time I'm thinking like for for example I don't have any training or knowledge about working with someone who's struggling with disorder eating or eating disorders mm-hmm. so it is my ethical duty yeah. to refer out.
0: Mm-hmm. Again, I think even... But, I would,
1: but, but that's the thing. How would you frame that then? But I, would, I think, I think would even be, framing would, it that
0: way though, like saying something like, hey, I want to be upfront that I don't have training yeah. in this area and I believe that another clinician will better meet your needs mm-hmm. and...
1: Robin, <laughs> I'll send them to you okay.
0: or, or <laughs> But it's like saying that versus I don't treat X. Right. Uh, like even I don't mean, treat the, X as a bit. The, yeah. The wording. The language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think that's what causes more harm. And I, yeah, that's what I would be careful about. And I think that goes back to like the conversation about the DSM of why I don't like using the labels and don't like using the diagnoses, even when I'm saying that something is out of my scope. Because it may not necessarily be out of my scope. It may just be this particular person and their needs. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what if we shift the conversation a little yeah, bit? We'll I mean, that. unless there's anything else you want to add about the DSM and systemic stuff in that regard,
1: I don't. I don't think I do. I think you know we covered a little bit of the white mm-hmm. supremacist piece, the lack of cultural, um, cultural in the bigger sense, mm-hmm. acknowledgement, the black and white of it, mm-hmm. the weaponizing it, or mm-hmm you know validating it as well.
0: Yeah. I think uh, the only thing that would add like as you're listing that that we didn't talk about, I think even having access to good care to get an accurate diagnosis is a privilege systemically, oh, 100%. right? It's like there are certain medical professionals that might just throw out diagnoses that are inaccurate and, you know, not as well thought out. And so bringing that systemic lens in of like it's it can be it's like this weird paradox of, in order to access services, I have to have a diagnosis, but in order to get a diagnosis, I have to be able to access good services.
1: Yeah, but even if we think about something like um, getting a diagnosis for ADHD,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the waitlist in Vancouver
0: was like is like a year, two like years. a year and a half,
1: two years. And also, as therapists, a lot of us don't do assessments.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some people do, yeah, but not everyone. Yeah. Mostly psychologists and psychiatrists. Yeah. Will do assessments. Like big assessments.
0: Yeah. So the accessibility of that, I think, is important to name. I guess then that would kind of shift me into... Because the next kind of tier was like that... The the social realm of diagnosis. So Mm -hmm. social media, pop culture, having it all around us. Right? Like one thing about not having access to this care that I think of is then we have all these people out on social media platforms or on the internet, on Google, trying to make sense of their experiences, right? Yeah. Like how many TikTok. how many TikToks have you seen where someone's like, even mental health professionals that aren't necessarily qualified to assess and diagnose of like, if you have these symptoms, you might have anxiety. And then they just like list out five symptoms or, you know, you have trauma. This is a trauma response. If you have X, Y, and Z. And so now all these people are out there like ascribing these labels yeah. To each other and to themselves.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, something that you mentioned there, you know, this is a trauma response. That's a whole other episode. Yeah. Trauma triggers and trauma responses. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think it, it, it kind of honestly, it's getting out of hand. Yeah.
0: And I, and I think generally all of the diagnosis that's happening on social media is getting out of hand. Like everything yeah. that I see is like, this means you have ADHD. This means that you have depression. Like, I actually had a client come to session one day. I've had a number of clients, actually, not just one come to session and be like, I'm struggling with like X, Y and Z. Like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I don't know. It probably means that you're like human because it just it was just like, you know, normal day to day challenges and burnout and apathy. And they were like, oh, my gosh, because like I saw this TikTok. And I was, and it said that if I had these symptoms that I'm depressed and I was like, am I depressed?
1: (laughs) I mean, after two years of COVID, I think we're all depressed. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, and then I think what we wanted to touch on a little bit was like, even in that social space, this diagnosing of each other and ourselves is happening and there's like a hierarchy of diagnosis.
1: Mm. What do you mean by that?
0: Like which labels are more acceptable to talk about on social media? Yeah and which ones are not, right? Like we've got, there's actually, I saw a thing of like the Instagrammable diagnoses, right? So like ADHD, anxiety, depression, eating disorders.
1: Are you kidding me? Those
0: are all Instagrammable, right? People just talk about them really openly. It's, which is great. I love that there's social acceptance around talking about these things. I don't want to minimize that. But the fact that now some mental health disorders are considered like okay to talk about But we're not talking about O C D. We're not talking about Bipolar. Bipolar. We're not talking about schizophrenia, schizophrenia, borderline. Right? Somebody comes up with those things and oh God.
1: And we only talk about narcissistic to say that our ex, our parents, or someone else was (laughs) narcissistic and that's why they you know, this person works the way they work
0: yeah and we only talk about ocd when it comes to being cleanly and organized and using it or using it or
1: using it like oh i'm a little ocd Mm -hmm. and because i clean very a lot that's Mm -hmm. uh, that's not that's not a diagnosis
0: yeah and i mean i've been guilty of that in the past i'll name
1: it i've
0: used it and then i started getting an influx of clients who struggle with ocd And I realize it is not anything close to the stereotype of what we think it is. It's a horrific and horrible challenge to live with. And now I check myself and don't use that language anymore. But still all around us all the time. And the depictions that we see of mental health and even things like OCD on social media tend to be the ones that are quote-unquote, more palatable for people. Yeah.
1: I'm still in shock that you, that there is an Instagrammable list of diagnosis.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a joke. Like, I don't know if it's regardless. Some... Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it, I'm assuming, I'm. you know, I, I get that it's a joke, but it's like no joke.
0: No, right? It's, it's... Like
1: fucking terrible.
0: Yeah, but that's that hierarchy. And then it's like, you know, if I'm somebody living with, a mental illness that isn't glamorized and glorified or you know sometimes it's not even that it's glamorized and glorified sometimes it's just that it's more socially acceptable to talk about and you don't get as much backlash or judgment or stigma right and Maybe. um yeah if i'm struggling with something different that doesn't have that same space created for it how is that going to impact me and the way that i view myself and my struggles
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. What about the more individual, kind of mm-hmm. pieces of this?
0: I think that kind of goes to what we talked about earlier in regards to like how much people identify with a diagnosis mm-hmm. or with a label. Yeah, and I want to be really mindful that we're not like invalidating anyone's experience here or not mm-hmm. um, contributing to shame. But I think it's really useful. To look at the role that particular labels or diagnoses play in our lives and how much we identify with them. Because sometimes, you know, if you were diagnosed with something really young, or even if not when you were really young, you, you might start to build an identity around it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it's really hard to heal from those things. Because if I build an identity around my anxiety or my depression or my OCD, then who am I without it? yeah yeah what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah i think it's it's something that i struggle with when we get certain labels or diagnoses and to clarify there these are two different things but we want to kind of include both because some people might not view the the label necessarily as a diagnosis mm-hmm. or vice versa or um, they may
0: not have a formal diagnosis or they may not
1: have a formal diagnosis and have something you know a different approach to it but I think the one thing that that bothers me is when people hold on to it, like their life depends on it. Mm -hmm. And and it's similar to what you're saying, you know, like building an identity around it, but it's like, oh, I'm this, so -hmm. that's why I respond this way. And I think in terms of labels, Mm -hmm. less kind of diagnostic piece, but labels is, you know, when we're talking about attachment or Mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs, you know, there are different types of attachment, there are different types of myers-briggs personality distinctions Mm -hmm. and the amount of time i've seen people online or even in person like oh i am an A B Mm -hmm. am not gonna use any other things because i can't don't know them and we
0: do them with different things too like even i'm thinking like horoscopes yeah right so these like identities that we start to build around labels we're veering from diagnosis a little bit but i think it all kind of
1: it's basically
0: a, a label that explains my behavior
1: yeah Right. No, I think it's more than it explain. It excuses my behavior. It
0: can excuse. I think that's what we're But that's you how. But that's
1: that's what it. how a lot of people use it, though. Yes. I have. I I'm I hear I'm you. I'm laughing because I'm not even sure if he listens to this. But one of my closest friends, he says all the time, "I'm a Leo." This is how I. Hey, respond. I'm a Leo.
0: What you got against Leos? <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> no, I'm just I, no, it's just him <laughs> that's he
1: does something. And I'm like, dude, and he's like, "I'm a Leo."
0: Yeah. It's so. I think. What you're getting at, because I think it's one thing to have an explanation for behavior. I think that's useful. That can be useful. Yeah, it's useful. I think it's when it's used as a way to not have to change behavior.
1: Yeah, when it's not used as a way of holding ourselves accountable. Mm -hmm. When it's used as like, oh, this this is my kind of screen here. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm this. So I get a free pass mm-hmm. because I behave this way. Mm-hmm. And that is where I get like, fuck no.
0: Yeah. There still needs to be a level of accountability. And I, doesn't, and I don't think that means, it doesn't mean that our, our challenges can never get in the way and that we can't mm-hmm. ever have moments where we react or where we have an unfavorable behavior. But I think it's on what we do with that. Right. So there's a difference between I'm an anxious person. So I acted out in this way and I'm going to take accountability for that and think about how I can better manage my anxiety in hopes that that doesn't happen again. Acknowledging that it might be imperfect and it could still happen again is very different than, Oh, well it's not my fault. I acted that way because yeah. I have this.
1: Yeah. Because oh, a hundred percent. And I think uh, b- similar to what we said earlier about the diagnosis is, you know, sometimes getting a diagnosis is so validating and it Mm -hmm. it just helps people be like, Oh, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. This is why, or part at least, part of why I think the way I think the way I do certain things to meet certain needs or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And I think that is very powerful Mm -hmm. and very necessary for a lot of people. Yeah. Because it, it, I think for all of us knowing one thing about labels that I really believe in is that what doesn't, what is not named doesn't exist necessarily,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and putting names to certain things and putting names and labels to some of the the things that we experience mm-hmm. is very validating and yeah. kind of tells shows us that you know we exist even though we have mm-hmm. we we struggle or we have these labels. Mm-hmm. So that I think is very very powerful. Yes, one hundred percent. And then it kind of I think we're maybe repeating a little bit. The things that we're saying, but kind of circling back to what I said earlier is that when someone comes to me, not necessarily as a client, because mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had, eh, I don't, can't tell if I've had that experience or not at this point, mm-hmm. but in general, on the, you know, friend circles or people that you meet through friends or even on social media, like, oh, I am an anxious avoidant mm-hmm. person, so I do this. Yeah, and, but I'm not going to do anything to change it. But I'm not going to do anything. Oh, that's just like, oh, that's just who I am. Mm -hmm. This is me. There's nothing here, right? Or, you know, you were saying earlier about how some people put their Myers-Briggs letters, I think it's four letters? Yeah. On their dating profiles or... Yeah, like
0: INFJ or I don't know, whatever. I I don't don't even know what what they are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And I know some people use that in... I think there's someone that I know that does a lot of career counseling Mm -hmm. that uses that a Mm -hmm. lot. And I think there is benefit Mm -hmm. to knowing these things or kind of learning more about yourself because that's part of it. For you to get your letters, you have to do tests and assessments and stuff that help you figure out who you are and what are things that your, your, you know, your strengths and your weaknesses Mm -hmm. or things like that is when we hold on so hard to it that our life depends on it Mm -hmm. or, and that we don't know
0: ourselves without it.
1: We, yeah because Mm -hmm. our it's basically that becomes the center of our universe Mm -hmm. and if that doesn't work then the universe universe falls apart exactly that's my issue
0: yeah i totally hear that and i think you know i know we said we're going to talk about trauma in another episode but people do that with trauma people do that with these personality tests people do that with attachment theory they do that with horoscopes they do that with diagnosis which is you know what we're talking about and i think It actually made, as we were talking about this, it made me think of the Taylor Tomlinson special because I think she articulates it really well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when she says, she talks about receiving the diagnosis of being bipolar and she said, there's nothing wrong with getting a mental health diagnosis. It's information about yourself that helps you take better care of yourself.
1: Yes. And I
0: think that's exactly what it is. And then she, she kind of uses this metaphor of like swimming, right? Like if I know that I can't swim, I should probably stop jumping into the deep end. (laughs) Right? And she says, but if I learn that I don't swim, then I can find arm floaties. And I can find, you know, something to assist me or maybe take some swimming lessons. Like she doesn't go this in depth into the metaphor in her thing. She talks about the arm floaties as a metaphor for medication. But I also think there's like things where it's like, okay, well, I can learn how to swim or I can start off in the shallow end and work my way up, right? Like it's the same thing with any sort of label. It's information about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. so that we can figure out what our next steps might be not so that it can be like well i don't know how to swim so i'm just gonna keep jumping, jumping in and, and, and then blaming the fact blaming that i can't someone. swim yeah. on me drowning blaming, as
1: blaming the lifeguard for not rescuing every <laughs> time. Go, yeah. there we go
0: yeah, yeah beautiful
1: yeah and now that you mentioned medication and i think we haven't touched upon it mm-hmm. at all in this episode it's like Getting a diagnosis, a proper diagnosis, mm-hmm. gives people access to proper medication.
0: Yes, because it's really hard to find the right psychiatric medication. Yeah.
1: And it is something that it, it is necessary in some mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Even though you're going to therapy once a week, sometimes medication is necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate and supporter of psychiatric Me medication. Me too. Yeah. Um, You know, circling back to our influencers conversation, there was a certain mental health professional that we talked about that really stigmatizes both, like, diagnostics and medication. And I think that that's (laughs) Self-healing.
1: Sorry, couldn't couldn't help it.
0: Sometimes we're petty. (laughs) We're human. But, yeah, I think I'm I'm a big advocate for that, and I totally agree that, you know, in order to... It's kind of like, you know, if I have... If I need... A prescription for an antibiotic i have to have whatever infection i have diagnosed in order for the doctor to know which antibiotic to give me exactly So exactly. the same thing with mental health diagnoses in order yeah. to get the right medication the doctor needs to know what they're treating right and i think that's where like circling back to the systemic problems though is like if it's not accurately diagnosed if it's oversimplified if it's not you know adequately ruled out or if it's coming from a place of like kind of presumption of the person's symptoms then a lot of people end up on the wrong medications and they end up cycling through so many different medications before they actually receive what they need because misdiagnosis is a thing is a very common thing
1: very common Mm -hmm. very very common
0: i want to appreciate that diagnosing mental health issues is really 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 fucking hard (laughs) yeah it's so complex and
1: and, and i'm gonna sit on the Canadian medical system right now because getting access to a psychiatrist is so hard mm-hmm. first because you need to wait months sometimes a year mm-hmm. or so to get access to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. that's one and two sometimes you have the medical doctor that has to go like the GP or your family doctor that has to go through like different things before they even actually are yeah. allowed or even want to yeah refer out to a psychiatrist
0: well and then we have GPs who are generalists prescribing specialized medications for complex mental health issues before they can as a hoop that you have to jump through to get the specialized care
1: yeah and i think you know i i do or i do know actually that there are gps or family doctors that do specialize in mental health Mm -hmm. and they do extra training to specialize in that and that i think that's great because that helps kind of Open up more access and spaces mm-hmm. for people that might need medication moving yeah. forward. So, I do think that that's a good thing that we have GPs and family doctors that do specialize mm-hmm. in certain areas. Anyways, yeah, let's kind of start wrapping up a little bit. And just to kind of be clear, we're not shitting on any of these concepts. What mm-hmm. we want is for people to be more reflective and nuanced mm-hmm. in their thinking around these labels and diagnoses Mm -hmm. and the things that we see on social media and the things that we see around us.
0: Yeah. And I think, and how much emphasis we put on them. Right. So while I think that all of the things mentioned can be useful in some regards, being mindful of like how much power we give a label, how much emphasis we place on it. And I, and I really do, like I emphasize the identity building piece because I think now that mental health topics are being more, Talked about, it's a lot more common. Whereas, like before, people didn't really want to be associated with some of these labels. But now that like it's normal to talk about anxiety, it's normal to talk about depression, it's normal to talk about these things. This identity formation is starting to happen, and I think that makes it really hard. Because, like you said, when it becomes your whole universe, then how? What do we do when it gets taken away? Or why would we want to let go of that if it defines everything about how we see ourselves? I mean, I can, I can say that I've been guilty of that in the past and I know how harmful it could be and how stuck it
1: can keep people. Oh yeah. I did that when I came out of the closet.
0: hmm
1: Everything was gay, gay, gay.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then I finally realized that that was just part of my identity. hmm Not everything.
0: And we well, probably, I, I did that mostly with, I've done it with a few diagnoses. I think particularly like I was really one for the attachment styles. hmm I was like, I have an anxious attachment style. And it was just like who I am. And it kept me so stuck because I was one of those people that was like in relationships. I would act out in ways that didn't feel good, that didn't serve me that caused harm to myself in the relationship. But then I would fall back on, well, I can't help it. I have an anxious attachment style. Mm. Like my nervous system is just wired this way. And I read this one book that told me exactly how I'm supposed to behave. (laughs) Right? Or I have anxiety, so that's why I'm like this all the time. And it took a lot to like unlearn that and say, okay, well, I have these challenges. I have these qualities, but they're fluid. They're not fixed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. They're fluid, not fixed.
0: Yeah, they just rolled right off my tongue. I'm pretty impressed with that too.
1: <laughs> Write it down. Robin said it here first. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think that's, that's about it for today.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for being here again and listening. And See you
1: next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts, feedback, or episode ideas. You can find us on Instagram at therapy.afterhours or email us at ah. therapyah.podcasts.gmail.com
0: Just a reminder that although we are therapists, we are not your therapists. And this podcast is not a substitute for therapy or other mental health services. In the event that one of us is your therapist, we invite you to bring any responses to our episodes into your sessions. Bye Bye for for now. now.